I'm reminded that we have so much to be thankful for, including our praise ringers and our chapel choir. And I think all of God's people would say, Amen. I'm going to ask you to please open your Bible or one of the pew Bibles to John chapter 4. We continue our sermon series in the Gospel of John that our world may know the love of Christ. That we may be filled with all the fullness of God, Jesus provides living water for thirsty souls. It's plentiful for everyone here today. Now from our verses, Jesus has left a time of ministry in Judea. He's departed again for Galilee. He had to pass through Samaria for a divine divine appointment with Samaritan woman at the well. We'll begin reading at verse 5. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, that is about noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up into eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you perceive, but you say that Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship that you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming as is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we understand the good news of Jesus, 
we all remain in fresh need to meet with Christ. We are thirsty. Our souls are parched. And so we're coming like deer, wandering in the desert, panting for flowing streams. We are coming to You, O Lord, the fountain of living water, praying that as we turn to Your Word, You would pour out the Holy Spirit that streams of living water may flow within us, welling up unto everlasting life, to the deep and solid and unfailing satisfaction of our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, if I were to ask you how each of you came to Christ, the stories would be as varied as each of you are. We're unique individuals with different personalities and backgrounds. Each of us would have a slightly different story to tell how we met the Savior. For me, as a 16-year-old in high school, I was dealing with moral perfection. I was straining with this question, was my life good enough for the security of heaven? That year I had lost both of my grandmothers, two women that I love very dearly, and in pondering the quality of their faith, I had certain insecurities about eternal matters. But probably after we've heard all of our stories, we would identify some very common elements. We all come to a point of sensing our need for the Lord. We all recognize that we are sinners and that our sin has separated us from a holy God. We come to realize that we are not to play games with God, but we need to look upon Him who is looking at our hearts. A God who wants to transform our hearts and bring us to Himself. And we have to believe in Jesus as the One who died to save us from our sins. And so for me, as a 16-year-old, I came to the conviction of my sin and I embraced Christ for my salvation. That is the common story for those of us who come to Christ. Praise God from that moment forward, I have enjoyed the security of salvation. What a gift. Now the story of Jesus' encounter with this unnamed Samaritan woman by Jacob's well and how she came to believe in Jesus is unique in all the Bible. And yet it has some common elements with all who come to salvation. The woman moves from the beginning of her encounter with Jesus where she seems to have little interest in spiritual things. And yet through a gradual process, she comes to a point of believing in Jesus as the promised Messiah. The One who offers living waters for thirsty souls. Praise God! But let's first consider here the scandal that Jesus willingly accepts. This is in the first nine verses. Now remember again, Jesus is heading back to Galilee from a season of ministry in Judea. And the shortest route home is through Samaria. Worn out from traveling the hot, dusty road, He stops at Jacob's well. And there He sends His disciples into town to buy lunch. It's just then that the Samaritan woman comes to draw water, and so he asks her for a drink. Now, it seems to us at this point, it's a naturally, perfectly uh, good thing to do, doesn't it? He's thirsty. Here's the well. There's a woman with a bucket. She can supply the water for his thirst. So he says, give me a drink. 
Nothing controversial about the about this except that when you look at verse 9, she is quite astonished at his request. And she says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And John adds, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. What's going on? Obviously, there is some sort of controversy. And the Samaritan woman specifically mentions two issues that shocked her when Jesus asked her for a drink. First, she is a Samaritan woman and Jesus is a Jewish man. According to the rabbis, Jesus' men were not to interact with women publicly at all. Jewish men did not talk to women in public. That was the first issue. And second issue that is here is that she is a Samaritan woman. The Samaritans, as you may know, were a people group descended from Jews living in the north of the province who had intermarried with immigrants several centuries before. They had rejected all the books of the Old Testament except the first five books written by Moses. And they built a rival temple up on the mountain under the shadow of Jacob's well where the action of our text all takes place. Now there are many more reasons why the Jews and the Samaritans despised each other, but what is important for our purposes today is that you understand that the Jews and the Samaritans, they are really not on friendly terms. That's why the woman is stunned in verse 9 as Jesus asks for a drink. He's asking to use the same vessels that she's using to share water with Him. Now, it's actually a stunning thing for Jesus to do. It's scandalous. And yet, Jesus is willing to court scandal for the sake of reaching this needy woman. And it communicated to her in a very powerful way. She is herself, after all, the object of gospel the object of scandal, cut off from her community, having known six men. But here is Jesus willing to risk scandal to make a gospel connection. At this woman, she begins to learn that this Jesus Christ is not like other people. It's good for us to know that Jesus is not like other people. He comes to us. He crosses our prejudices and transcends boundaries in order to recess. He pursues us in spite of our sin. And He exposes the darkest secrets of our soul. Jesus is interested in your thirsty heart and He is prepared to deal with you up close and personal regardless of what people might think. This is the scandal that Jesus readily accepts. But notice secondly, Jesus gets right to the point, doesn't He? He offers a satisfaction not found in this world. This is in verses 10-15. to The Samaritan woman is shocked that Jesus would ask for a drink. And Jesus begins to talk about living water. And she responds, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, for the well is deep. Where do you get the living water? Are you greater than my, our father Jacob? He gave us the well, drank from it himself as did his sons and livestock. She is not tracking with Jesus at all. So Jesus begins to really shape the discussion and this is how he explains it. 
everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of this water, I will give him, will never thirst again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. You know, it's an echo from Jeremiah chapter 2 where God rebuked His people Israel for two evils. And here's what they are. First, they have forsaken Me, God declares, the fountain of living waters. And secondly, they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that hold no water. You see what Jesus is saying to her? You've been coming to this well looking to satisfy your thirst day after day after day. It works for a moment. But then your thirst returns. That's a picture of your life, by the way. A series of broken cisterns that do not hold water. You're trying to quench your thirst with things that can never satisfy. But I have the satisfaction that you need, dear woman. For I'm the fountain of living water. Won't you come to me and drink? She still doesn't quite understand. Sir, she said, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have it come here to draw water. Now, Jesus is talking about salvation. And she's talking about an abundant water fountain. Do you see? But for all her confusion, we can see what she could not see. Jesus is moving to meet her at her deepest need. She's been trying to satisfy her deep insecurities in a series of relationships with men. She's always, though, been left thirsty at the end. And Jesus offers her something that no mere human relationship ever can. Do you see the point here? Christ alone can satisfy your heart thirst for security and identity and peace because He's more than just a man. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord God made flesh who is Himself the fountain of living water. You must go to Him and drink. He alone can satisfy the longings of your heart. Now, if you're like me, you tend to address that which is most pressing and not always that which is most important. This is why so many people elevate work and sometimes ministry above family, do they not? It's not that we think that work and ministry are more important than family, but our vocational responsibilities often present themselves as more urgent. And because our spouse and children are typically more forgiving than our employer or our clients, they tend to take a secondary position. Now this is also why so many people elevate temporal matters above eternal matters that require our attention. We know that God should have first place in our lives and yet our temporal obligations often appear more urgent. And because we know God to be more forgiving than our family and friends, He tends to be pushed to the periphery. On one level, it's understandable why we might submit to such a skewed ordering of things because our temporal obligations have specific timetables and prescribed deadlines, whether you're a professional or a student or even a youth. 
Conversely, Jesus does not respond to us with half measures. For physical things can be consumed, physical things can be exhausted, and physical things can and will be worn out. So Jesus offers to us a quality and quantity of the spiritual resources by Jesus Himself, never less than what our situations of life require. He is essential, abundant, eternal. And here's another word. He is present. Too many people, too many Christians spend time hewing cisterns though that hold no water. Why is this the case? The only reason I can think of is that we lack the appreciation for how good the living water truly is. So while we know that living water has welled up to eternal life and nothing will be able to separate us from His love, so our soul still thirsts for the living God as a deer pants for flowing streams. We still pray, O God, You are my God, earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. My flesh pants for You as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Jesus is good at causing us to come to Himself to drink. Now from this scandal, from the satisfaction that He offers, Jesus therefore calls us to examine self. In verse 16, Jesus makes an abrupt turn in the conversation. Looks what He puts His finger on. He puts His finger on the problem when He says, Go call your husband. Now this is a a sore spot Jesus is pressing on. And He receives a truthful, but I believe a rather curt reply. I have no husband. As it turns out, Jesus knows far more than what she's willing to reveal. Look at what he says. You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. Do you see the implication? She's not just a serial monogamous, she's an adulteress as well. Her need to be loved, to find security in the affection of men, has driven her to be entangled with six men. She is living in sin. Sin is keeping her from quenching the thirst of her soul. But Jesus nonetheless comes to her in grace and in love. For her to find real satisfaction, a satisfaction that is true and deep and lasting, Jesus knows that she needs to see the inadequacy of the choices that she has been making. Something crucial is missing. And now the woman is convicted. This is Jesus, dear family of God. The light of the world, shining in the darkness and exposing the evil inclinations of the human heart and will. And it's true, it would be a little unnerving to have a perfect stranger uncover the sins of your past and present. But Jesus is doing so that He will bless us with spiritual things and not just material things. He's helping her to come to terms with the nature of the gift that He is offering. For you and for me, Jesus is highlighting the difference between Broken cisterns that cannot hold water and the unfailing wellspring of living water that Jesus can cause to bubble up within our souls. 
satisfaction in Christ and the glutting of our spiritual appetites on the fast food substitutes of sin, they are mutually exclusive. Good things can become idols, can they not? Relationships, intimacy, career, wealth, whenever we elevate them above the unending supply of the soul-filling grace that only Jesus can give us. Unless and until you see the fertility of looking to relationships for your significance, instead of looking to Christ, you will never find peace. Never. Our relationships were never meant to bury that kind of weight. But Jesus can bear that weight. Jesus wants us to face the cracked and barren cisterns of our sin-parched souls honestly, and then He wants us to run to Him, the only oasis in the desert, and drink. And that brings us to our final point. The salvation that Jesus brings. The woman said to Him, verse 16, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. She's trying to understand what Jesus is offering as a gift, but she hasn't quite got there yet. So she's saying the Jews worship in Jerusalem. The Samaritans worship here on this mountain next to Jacob's well. Jesus, where ought we to worship? I want to worship. She doesn't understand salvation yet. Yet she knows that God is somehow at work in her heart. She's moving from an uncomfortable exposure Exposure of her sin, now it's vital and urgent that she knows the living God. So Jesus tells her, The hour is coming and is now here where the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. It's an amazing statement. He tells her the temple and all the rituals and sacrifices are becoming obsolete now that the truth, capital T, now that the truth has stepped onto the scene. Now that the Messiah has come. Now that the perfect priest and the perfect sacrifice has arrived. Now that Jesus is here, temples and sacrifices and priests become obsolete. They were only meant to point forward to a deeper and greater reality that Jesus now embodies. He will die upon the cross to deal with sin once for all, bearing our sin in His body on the tree. Family, it's not an earthly altar that you need. It's Jesus Christ crucified. That's what we need. We worship the through the Holy Spirit who imparts new life to us and dwells within us, we worship a God who has caused us to be born again. John chapter 3. When our hearts are brought to life. So to worship God in spirit means that we worship Him with complete sincerity, not with just outward show. To worship God in truth means to worship Him as He has revealed Himself to us in His Word. For God is spirit and the only way that we may know Him is as He has revealed Himself to us in His written Word. Now the Samaritan woman does not fully understand who He is yet. So she confesses. Listen to this. 
I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when He comes, He will tell us all things. And then stunningly, stunningly, Jesus reveals Himself to her as the Messiah. And He says, I who speak to you am He. Jesus Christ, the eternal Word of God made flesh, is the supreme revelation of God to us. And to receive the gift of living water, we are to believe and to trust in Him. He will make your conscience clean. He will give you right standing before God. He will wash away and cleanse you and satisfy and nourish you. He will fill the longing of your thirsty soul. So please, Hear the call of Jesus Christ who invites you to come to the fountain and to drink. Who invites you to come to Him. To cast your cares upon Him. To pour out your heart to Him. To seek forgiveness with Him. To find satisfaction in Him alone. He is the one you need. He is offered to you today. Come to Christ. Come to the waters without money and without price, and drink and never thirst again. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank You for Jesus in whom there is satisfaction of soul for all who believe. Save us from looking to broken cisterns, to relationships, particularly, but to many things to which we often run for satisfaction and rest and peace and security. Instead, O Lord, would You draw us to the fountain of living water, the God-man Jesus Christ, who gave Himself to make us clean. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.